Hey, What's Up? The podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where all voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. This podcast is brought to you by Instant Imprints. Promote better with Instant Imprints. Instant Imprints are Boise's visual communications experts and your place for everything you need to promote your business, club, school, or group. As a locally owned business, Instant Imprints specializes in making your organization more visible with custom branded apparel, embroidery, promotional items, print services, and wide format printing for signs, as well as banners and vehicle graphics. Want better ways to get noticed? Visit Instant Imprints at instantimprints.com slash Boise or call 208-IMPRINT. That's 208-467-7468. Hey, what's going on? This is Lisa Curry and you're listening to What's Up the Podcast. Huh? Perfect. Yep. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Doing great. It's been a couple of years since I saw you. You were out here, uh, you were in Spokane with Pamela the last time I saw you. We yeah, had you at that show. That was a lot of fun. Um, what's been going on since? I know we've had a global pandemic since then. Um, oh, man. <laughs> but so I feel like much. A lot has probably changed in the last uh, three or so years. Yeah, I can't, I want, I can't remember if I came out with her in 2017 or 2018, but. Um, uh, I think that was 2017. And then um, 2019, I was still like working a day job at early 2019. And um, I just got to a breaking point where I was like, I fucking hate this and I can't do it anymore. And uh, so I just put in my notice and I booked this huge tour. I put in my notice for a few months out and booked this huge tour of the UK. And then everything just took off from there. I mean, it was like the UK and Europe. And I, I, uh, was overseas for two months. I did 51 shows in eight weeks in nine countries. I, I did two festivals. I did a military show. I recorded my debut comedy album alive for a while. And, um, then as soon as I got home, I got staffed on the Jim Jeffrey show and the, the rest is history. I'm opening for Jim now. Um, doing a lot more of my own headlining weekends. So it's just been, I mean, you know, COVID aside, the mm-hmm. last couple of years have been very good. That's amazing. How is how has it been back? When did you guys hit the road again? With Jim? Correct. Yeah. Um I had my first show with him in July in Vegas and then his tour officially started uh September 23rd. Do you know what's really strange? So September 23rd, 2019 was my very first day on the Jim Jeffrey show as a writer and then September 23rd this year uh, was my very first time opening for Jim on his moist tour. And it was, I was the first person out on stage for the whole tour. So it felt, um, it was just like a cool turn of events, you know, kind of a full circle moment there. Yeah, absolutely. Were you performing through the whole pandemic or were you doing a lot of those zoom shows? I did a few zoom shows and to be honest, like not to sound like a brat, but I hated them. Um, and the shows themselves weren't bad. It was just the feeling of, once you're done with the show and you shut your computer and then you're just sitting there right. in silence. And it's like, I didn't realize, even, even though I don't hang too long after my sets because I like to get to bed at a reasonable <laughs> hour. Um, it, I, I didn't realize like how integral the hang was to having a good time at a show and like just seeing your friends and peers. And uh, so I stopped doing Zoom shows pretty quickly, and I just kind of gave in to life coming to a pause, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and I left LA last December and went in, stayed with um, my cousin and her family in Bloomington, Indiana, for eight months. And uh, they have a homestead, and so I lived there with her and her kids and her husband and all their pets. And they keep bees and they have chickens, and it was a very, very necessary break uh, because I think that we can all go a little bit crazy pursuing our dreams. And um, 
it was nice to just not worry about anything. I mean, I was still being creative and I wrote a lot and, uh, shot a couple of things just on my own for fun. Um, but for the most part, I just hung out with my family and didn't give a shit, you know? So are you back in LA now or are you still out in the Midwest? Yeah, I'm in LA now. Uh, I'm in Denver next weekend. Um, uh, October 22nd and 23rd, I'm headlining out there. And then I have one more date with Jim in Los Angeles on November 7th. And then I'm just kind of wrapping up the year. Did you, uh, did you enjoy writing for the show? I've had, I've heard mixed things from not about Jim Jeffries, but about comedians being writers for other shows. Uh, some people, some of the comedian friends I've have loved it. Some have, have hated it. What was your experience like working on that show? I loved it. It was a dream job. I mean, working with Jim is great. Um, he's, he's great. Um, and I just, I love the experience of being in a writer's room and, you know, doing like a table read and throwing out jokes and notes. And, um, it's just, I, I think, you know, I worked in restaurants for so long and I had shit jobs for so long. It feels so good to go into an office and have my own desk and have somebody bring me lunch and, you know, and not have some shitty restaurant manager breathing down my throat. And, um, it was just, it was really cozy. And I like, it feels exciting to me still like to make television, you know, uh, I loved tape days, like the whole thing was a lot of fun for me. I don't, uh, I have no cynicism for any of that. I, I really truly love it so much. And were you on set during tape days as a writer? Yeah, I was there because we would do the um, final rehearsal in the morning or like, yeah, like a re- rehearsal. And then we would all watch the rehearsal and take notes in our scripts. And, um, you know, they would adjust some things or cut things for time or whatever. And uh, it was great. It was great to watch. Um, you know, Jim would come out and talk to the audience for a minute. And it was it's just cool to see people doing their jobs. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is what I want to do. I would love to host my own mm-hmm. show. So being able to watch somebody do it well, um, was a privilege. So did you, did you meet Brad Pitt? I did not. I, he was not, I was on the final season and he did not come in for that season at gotcha. all, which was really disappointed, uh, disappointed, <laughs> disappointing. And, uh, but you know, if he wants to get in touch, he can anytime. I'm okay. available. We, it doesn't have to be a taping. <laughs> since, since you weren't on that season, do you know much about the, the story behind that? I still don't know too much about how Jim Jeffries got Brad Pitt on his on his show. You know, I I have no idea how that came about. I know they're friends now, um, which is, you know, I'm just trying to be better and better friends with Jim to get closer <laughs> to Brad Pitt. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I know they're friends now, but I don't know how it came to be that he was on the show. But I know Brad's a huge comedy fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's uh, that's probably, you know, how we ended up there. So going back to, uh, there's no segues. I, my brain works in weird tangents. What was it like then? Because you were in Indiana for, like you said, eight months. What was it like in July, that first time you're back on stage in front of a live audience? What What was that feeling like? Um, well, I had a couple small spots cause I came back to LA in Ju- like end of June. Um, and then I had a couple small gigs around LA, which was, it was a little rocky, but it was, but it was still fun. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have any like insecurity about it because I felt like, well, we've all been off for a year, year and a half. So who gives a shit? Um, and then doing Vegas was a blast. It was. It was so fun. Um, I always like to ask other comics, what was kind of your journey into comedy? How long have you been doing stand-up? And kind of what do you think your your end goal is from all of this? Um, I've been doing it for about 12 years now. Uh, and I got into I got into it kind of weirdly. I, I kind of backed into it. I moved out to L.A. for acting and then didn't like the serious acting. And um, I went from that to doing improv at Second City and I studied there for a couple of years and then started stand-up uh, and immediately fell in love. And uh, what was the second part? <laughs> oh, what are my goals? What are my goals with it? Um, man, I, I would like to 
eventually have my own theater tour like Jim has uh, or Nikki Glaser or Taylor Tomlinson or, you know, like Mm -hmm. I would love to do theaters. I would love, love, love to have my own show. Like my number one dream job would be to have something that's like a uh, last week tonight. Okay. And, and I would love to parlay that into things like hosting the white house correspondence dinner and uh, other hosting events like that. So do you see yourself more as one of those late night hosts more than like an Ellen, like the doctor she took? Doing oh daytime? yeah. There's no way I could be like an Ellen. First of all, I'm not that big of a bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's notoriously mean. Um, and I, I knew her mom for a while, so I can confirm the rumors. Um, I, uh, yeah, I would I would love to do late night. I like the little bit more biting jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love political stuff or sociopolitical stuff. Um, it's the most fun for me. Who do you think does it the best right now? John Stewart's back. Obviously, John Oliver has been kind of taking that reign, but you know, Seth Meyers and and Stephen Colbert still have a lot of viewers as well. Um, who do you think does that kind of political satire and, and humor the best? It's hard for me to say the best. Uh, my my top three are are John Oliver, John Stewart, and Seth Meyers. I really love Seth Meyers. I think for that, you know, they're all the shows are all styled completely differently, but I think each of them uh, does the best with their format. Mm-hmm. You know, I think last week tonight is so good because they will pull things that we're not necessarily paying attention to and really do a deep dive and uh, educate people on things we're in a way where like nobody's going to sit down and research uh, where the money from Miss, U- Miss, from Miss USA pageants are going. No, Nobody cares to do that. But if there's an hour-long show with jokes explaining why the pageants are bad and these girls aren't actually getting the money – then it's interesting, mm-hmm. you know, and I think Seth Meyers does such a great job of uh, making fun of things that are happening daily. Um, and then, of course, John Stewart just has such a passion for politics and, um, you know, he tries to be on the moral, the, the good moral side of things. That's right. a wonky way to put that. But I think his his passion for it really um is what draws me in. Yeah. I, uh, I also like that John Oliver, he does things where it's, I mean, it's topical, but it, it, it also can last a long time because I'm still sending friends his episode on the multi, multi-level marketing uh, scams, uh-huh. like the pyramid yeah. schemes, because, you know, those still pop up every day. And I think that episode aired 30 years ago, and it still yeah. is one of his most watched episodes. Well, that's the thing, too. What's great about those is it's like, it's almost like Cliff's Notes. It's like funny Cliff's Notes mm-hmm. on subjects. And um, they're still timely. I mean, even even things that are a little bit more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like if there's something that has to do with somebody in the Trump administration and uh, – if they if they do a deep dive on let's say Steve Bannon um, until Steve Bannon dies that's still relevant because he's uh, like some kind of fucked up scabbing leech that's just kind of going to be always going around to different places in politics I don't think he's going to go away until he's underground so or, I, or rocketed into the sun which whichever I feel like your show is probably going to end up on HBO then from the- <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Um, you teased and I didn't want to push too hard cause I like to kind of, I like going into these episodes, not knowing a whole bunch about what I'm going to say at the top, which sometimes works out hor- horribly and I have to stretch for an hour, which I'm sure you've done before on stage. Um, but you teased a new project that that's coming out, correct? That, um, is near and dear to you. Um, mm-hmm. let's talk about that. I, I know nothing about this. I'm excited to hear about it. Well, it's, uh, I did say I have something big to promote. It's not a new project. Uh, it is my album, Alive for a While. Um, I released it last September, and it has been submitted for Grammy consideration, which is very exciting to me. Um, 
And next weekend, October 22nd, members of the Recording Academy will start voting on who to move forward as a nominee. And so, I mean, I'm in the Recording Academy, so I'm going to vote for me, <laughs> <laughs> which feels really exciting. But it's it's a, a very real opportunity. And it's not like music where there's 10,000 albums released. It's uh, a much, much smaller pool for comedy. So much higher odds than if I was just an indie artist hoping to, you know, get my album considered. Um, and there's five nominees every year. So it's like, I, you know, if I could just be one of those five, that would be incredible. And so I'm doing a lot of PR push for that right now and uh, trying to get my name out there more. That's really and exciting. I'm really though. excited. That's really Thank exciting. Thank you. Thank you. I'm 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 really proud of it because it was that big tour I did in 2019. That was when I recorded my album. Was in the midst of that, and it's my very first album. I recorded it in London, um, which is just a fun brag. You know, I mean, I don't know how many people record their first comedy album outside of their own country. Um, and my shows sold out for it. And it was just I I worked so hard to put it out, and I produced it myself, and then it launched initially on um Sirius XM did a big like preview of my album and uh it's just been it's just been really fun and it's it's something I'm really proud of because it was so much work and I I pulled it off and I've managed to get myself into the recording academy and I've managed to get my album submitted for Grammy consideration um by a, a friend of mine who works in A&R and uh it's just been it's just been really cool I'm really excited for those that haven't listened to the album, did you do a British accent at all during, <laughs> during the album? I did not. Um, I cannot do accents. So I stayed far, far away from that. <laughs> That's probably, <laughs> I think everybody too does that really bad Cockney accent that, that doesn't represent England probably the the best. Yeah. Um, are you, um, what's your best, your favorite venues to play is it the theaters is it those smaller clubs when you came to spokane you were you were at the bar i worked at which can hold about a hundred people give or take um or, or is it different every night um man it's hard to say because i like different venues for different reasons i would say my favorite spot in la to go up is the west side in santa monica um the west side and uh, honestly haha comedy club as well those are my two favorites um well one i'm friends with the bookers uh the owners <laughs> who like me so that uh you know gives me a nice little bias but they're also i find a little bit more real people than the clubs that are in the middle of hollywood they're more non-industry people and it's you can kind of like bounce off the crowd a little bit more. I feel like I get more new tags written when I work those places. Um, I'm able to be a little looser, be myself a little bit more. I feel more comfortable. Um, where, you know, doing a theater, I'm doing, I'm not testing anything out in mm -hmm. a theater, certainly. Um, I mean, but that it's, that's also just such an incredible feeling. Cause like when you're, when you have a joke that lands in front of 3000 people, I, I it, <laughs> there's nothing better. Right. For sure. It's the best feeling. Not, Even no, if you're no. like, ah, oh, this is an old joke. Uh, and you say it and a whole crowd laughs at you or, you know, erupts into applause. It's like, Oh, this is living. This is it right here. Mm -hmm. This is what I wanted. Now, do you think you could ever do like a stadium tour like uh, Kevin Hart did playing in front of 60, 70,000 people? If somebody would like me to do that, I will do that. I will pump up the energy. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's my best outlet, but that sounds glorious. <laughs> I just I guess for me, it's like if I can't connect with everybody in the audience, it's harder for me to, I think, bring my A game. I guess that's just sure. my, my way of thinking, because like even I did one theater show and I couldn't connect with like the back row in that theater. And it kind of fumbled, oh, no. it kind of fumbled me up. I think it's because I couldn't oh, no. see I couldn't see them, so I couldn't connect with them. But I I can't yeah. I can't see well most of the time, anyways. Oh yeah, um, I guess that is a little tough. But I I don't know. I I feel like when I do my sets, I always feel like I'm connecting mm -hmm. on a personal level. So um, 
I don't know. It's, uh, I don't really feel the disconnect, I guess. Okay. That makes total sense. Who were your inspirations in when you started doing comedy? I mean, when I started, Chris Rock's always been my favorite. Um, but then, you know, as I got to know more comics, there's things I love from so many different people. I think like Maria Bamford is a favorite. Mm-hmm. Tom Papa, I love. I love Michelle Wolf. She's a killer joke writer. Sam Morell is a killer joke writer. Beth Stelling is, Beth Stelling is like, <laughs> she's so funny and so pleasant. It's like listening to her, it feels like the auditory equivalent of having a warm chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hits your brain in so many places. Uh, I love Ryan Hamilton. Um, so many. Jimmy Carr is a favorite. Nikki Glaser, of course, is mm-hmm. a killer. Um, uh, I, I mean, I could list a hundred people. Right. Now, the kind of the hot topic I was also talking to comedians about. Mm-hmm. Can you separate art from artist? Were you a Were you a Cosby or a CK fan before all of that came out? And can you still take their what they, I guess you know what their legacy as a comic writer was and separate it mm-hmm. from the horrible things they've done um, or does it now kind of just blur those lines and make it like I, you, you can't even. I think um, if I'm being completely honest with myself and with you, I uh, am a bit of a hypocrite in this area um, because, it, <laughs> because I, I, it's, it's very, it, I might, I may become a hypocrite is actually what I should say, because it's very easy for me to say like, fuck Bill Cosby and uh, he should be in prison forever because I mean, first of all, what he did was blatantly horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, also, I was never a Cosby fan. Okay. Um, and the reason why is so silly. It's like my dad always revered Cosby because like when, when I was growing up, my dad would be like, Oh, he works clean. He doesn't swear. He doesn't use, dirty words, whatever. And it made me so angry that that's what my dad, like, that's why my dad put him on a pedestal because Mm. my dad swears all, my family (laughs) owns a fucking biker bar. My dad swears nonstop. So for him to be like, Oh, this guy doesn't swear. I was like, shut up. And so it just, (laughs) I just never got into Cosby because of that. I was like, I have no interest in this idiot. And then I really did like Louie. Um, you know, I, I also, for anyone listening, I know there's a lot of people outside of comedy that are like, yeah, but he only had these couple of incidents. I will, I will tell you without telling uh, you, without giving away anybody's identity or their personal experiences, um, what the public has heard is a tenth of what he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and he... He should be a monster or he, he should be a monster. He is a monster. He should be, uh, I, I don't know, run out of the industry, I guess. But then I, I do think it's unfair for comics to say he should do something else because it's like, well, then you're saying a predator should just work where at McDonald's right? and be a predator to those people. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think he's made enough money. Um, he can go fuck off, learn to invest your money. Um, Although he is developing a TV show right now. He is once again touring. Uh, he just did a show a couple weeks ago in New York um, to a crowd of all men, from what I understand. And he did an hour where he did not address any of the stories. And instead, he had a bunch of light bulbs hanging behind him with the word sorry painted across them. Oh. And uh, I think somebody should hit him in the head with a brick. Um now, all, all of that to say, here's the hypocrite part. I, I don't know how I would react if stories like that came out about Chris Rock. That I, and I don't think they ever would. Right. But I have him on such a pedestal that I think if stories did, I would have a really difficult time saying anything. And there, you know, if, if someone has directly helped me to make a living or to move my career forward. Um, and this is nobody I'm working with presently, um, but there was somebody I worked with years ago who was accused of some things. And I, the accusations sound a little foggy, to be honest. 
but I've never, I will never publicly defend them because that's not my, they're, it's not my shit to defend. Mm -hmm. They got themselves into their own mess and they're an adult, but also I will never publicly criticize them because that to me feels like a betrayal of how they've helped me. Is it a betrayal? I don't know. That, that could be totally incorrect. And I think people would be fair to criticize me for that, but I, uh, I don't know. That's, I, that's how I feel. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Moving towards the writer side of your brain. What do you feel about the whole Chappelle controversy right now with his current special? Um, you know, I've really been a fan of Dave's and I've, we have a lot of mutual friends. He's, uh, when I've encountered Dave, he's always been very kind to me. I'm very personable. Um, I think he thinks he's a good person. Um, and I think he needs to do a little bit more work because I, it feels like he's, it feels like he's speaking on things without really knowing much about it. Um, I, you know, I guess, I guess another way to put it would be like, I think I would have made, if I, if I were to just like make jokes about race, I think I would have made entirely different jokes 15 years ago before Mm -hmm. I was doing standup. I think had I been tasked to write jokes about race, I would have, thought differently 15 years ago than I do now because I am, I've done a lot of work to learn things in that time. Right. Uh, and uh, it, it appears that he has not done the work to learn anything. And that is, uh, I think it leaves you with a lazy opinion. I, I mean, that's the best, that's the best way I can describe it. I don't think he's trying to be malicious, but you know, it people say things are hurtful and it, it's I saw his most recent special there was a couple funny bits um it felt lazy it didn't mm-hmm. feel like um it didn't feel like it represented what he's capable of right that's fair you know uh again no segues uh, my mm-hmm. producer Travis uh he's been with speak Boise since the beginning before mm-hmm. we started in January, he's never done too much uh, of the talking side. He's always been behind mm-hmm. the scenes. So every episode, I give him two or three questions to ask my guest. Uh, so this is two questions with Travis. Okay. Take it away, Travis. Hello. Um, hey. <laughs> okay. So uh, is it true that you still do a podcast? I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, just had one drop today, but I'm going to promote it tomorrow. Okay. Um, yeah, so I just kind of wanted to hear, I guess, more about like what your podcast is, and I saw you're doing it with SiriusXM, and kind of how did that all, uh, how did that all unfold, and kind of what what do you talk about on your podcast? Um, my podcast is, I just have people on, mostly comics, but I have a lot of other artists on, and I like to talk to people about how they got to where they are in their career, um, with kind of a focus on like how seemingly un unimportant things can launch you in the right direction. Like for example, my friend Val Tossi, um, years ago when she was like newer to stand up, she was at Comic-Con, couldn't get in cause she like lost her badge or something and was really upset. Ended up going to lunch with a friend. Dana Gould was there. They connected about whatever sci-fi dork bullshit that they like. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I love Val. She's a close friend of mine. I love Dana. He's very sweet. Um, I could care less about the Um, (laughs) X-Files. But, you know, they connected over their nerd bullshit. And she started opening for Dana after that. And it's like... It's, it sent her career in a different direction simply from not being able to get into Comic-Con. Had wow. she gone into Comic-Con, she would not have had that lunch with Dana. And it, it's like, I love stuff like that where it's like, oh, what? How did, how did you get there? Or like how something feels disappointing. Like, you know, and I, I think that it was my curiosity for others, other people's similar experiences to mine where like in 2019, before I booked that tour, the reason, the whole reason 
I booked that tour is I got very close to my dream job. I did not get it. Uh, I don't want to say what it was, but I got very close. Um, and then I was being considered for another job that also would have been real sweet. And I didn't get either of them. And I was waiting tables at the time. And I thought, if I don't get out of here for a little while, I'm going to saw my own fucking head off. Uh, because it was just too much crushing disappointment at a time when I was already like broke and hated my job. So that, so I just started building this tour. And then I found out this last weekend from talking to Jim's other opener, like that was me doing that tour was a huge, huge part of why Jim wanted me to be staffed on the show because he was like, Oh, I respect the fuck out of that. Um, If you are putting together your own tour and taking off, like obviously you want to do this. Nice. Oh, and how did the series to answer your question of how did the serious thing come along? Yeah. um, I, I had been a guest on Nikki Glazer's serious show a handful of times and I just, they just really liked me. And so did you have your podcast before Sirius or did it all kind of launch at the same time? No, they, they approached me and they said, Hey, we're, um, we're looking for more shows, more content. And they said, do you have a podcast? And I said, yeah, I'm actually starting one right now. (laughs) Oh, that worked out great. (laughs) And it was, it was an idea I had had for a while, but I, um, uh, I'd had the idea for a while, but I, just wasn't pulling the trigger. I was just being lazy about it. And then once I got the opportunity with Sirius, I was like, oh, well, here we go. It'll be on Sirius, which, you know, feels nice to say. Yeah, that's awesome. That's super cool. Um, And then um, as far as like your European tour went, um, Mm -hmm. were there any like challenges or like kind of rough cities where like the, I mean, not really translation, I guess, but like, was it harder to perform in those European countries versus America or kind of what was, was there any sort Mm -hmm. of uh, toughness, I guess, there? I will say overwhelmingly it feels easier for me to perform overseas. I mean, easier than I should say Los Angeles specifically, because I mostly work in Los Angeles. I live here. Um, Please don't stalk me, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but do come to my show. So I know it's a fine line. Um, uh, People are just so much more excited to watch live shows overseas. Um, they don't give a fuck if you're famous. They're excited to watch you work through bits. Um, and so in that way, it does feel a lot easier. I think what was tough was uh, I booked it in such a way that I didn't have a lot of time to punch things up in between because, I mean, I was I had two days off in eight weeks. Um, and some days I had a couple of shows and it was like, I was traveling so much. <laughs> it was, I, I don't know how I got, I don't know how I pulled it off. Still looking back, it it almost, it is so crazy that it feels like a lie when I tell people because I'm like, how did I, how did I do that? <laughs> could you keep up with that, Jared? No. That many shows? No. <laughs> I could barely keep up with the one show I have tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I will say to, I learned how to keep myself organized from my friend Brandy Posey. Um, I don't know if you guys know Brandy. She's very funny and lovely. And she got me into Google spreadsheets. And so I had this like whole giant color coordinated spreadsheet. Like I started booking it in January and I left in May and I had this color coordinated spreadsheet of like all of my shows, all of the contacts for those shows, all of my travel, everywhere I was staying. Um, and you know, you, I would just work on it for like two, three hours a day for months. And it was a fucking lot, but it was a huge payoff. Mm-hmm. I bet. Um, cool. So I guess that was my two questions. One quick last question, I guess. Mm-hmm. Who's your like favorite or most like notable podcast guest that you've had on? Ooh. Gosh, you know who was a lot of fun is Deborah DiGiovanni. Um, I mean, she crushes everything. She was so fun to have on the podcast. Um, I've had a lot of really fun guests. Uh, but Deb, I think, comes to mind uh, immediately. Cool. Yeah, that was uh, awesome. That was uh, all my questions. 
We call that two and a half questions with Travis. Two and a half. <laughs> well, usually, like, sometimes he just gives me, like, three or four, like, a random number, and I'm not prepared, but I was actually, like, more prepared for that one. So. Do, you, do you have more? If you have, do you have more? No, that was okay. that was all I had. That was kind of a, a half. It was two and a half questions. We'll okay. say that. <laughs> um, we now segue into the our patented, patent-pending pop quiz. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's five rapid-fire questions. So far in our... 20 something episodes everybody has gotten 100 percent uh the the downside is if you miss a question um i and in turn now will be opening for jim jeffries that's kind of <laughs> it's kind of the thing so hopefully you don't get any of them wrong um like i said you the sound effects you'll you'll hear when the episode actually airs but i'll let you know if you got it right mm-hmm. pressure's on question number one as precise as you can get the the first time you are on stage if you remember like date some there's some comics that remember like the specific date or just year and location wait what your <laughs> the, your, mm-hmm. your first date doing stand-up if you remember like the specific date oh and, i was like i heard that and then i was like wait i you there's no way you were um my pop quiz was about my own thing because it could be, I could be wrong. I don't remember the date, um, but I do remember it was the week before my birthday in 2008. Yeah. In 2008, because it was my, my Barack Obama got elected on my birthday and uh, I had made it a goal to start, stand up before my my birthday and uh so i know it was like the last week of october do you remember i i I secretly think people that remember the exact date are uh lunatics okay (laughs) so does that make bob did bob saget have the date down travis uh i think he did have the date so bob saget's a lunatic you've you've heard it (laughs) unquestionably yeah you can tell him i said that okay do you do you remember the location yes there was well, I don't remember the name of the theater, but there was like a little theater on what they call Theater Row in Los Angeles, which is kind of a joke. It's like three uh, janky little theaters on Santa Monica Boulevard. And there was one of them. You know how it happened was I had been wanting to try stand up and I was auditioning for something and they were like, prepare a comedic monologue. Now, I don't know if you've done any acting or acting classes or scene study, but every quote unquote comedic monologue that you will find in a monologue book is trash. None of them are funny. Every single one of them is like, and you're the silly neighbor who has a crazy hat. And it's (laughs) like, none of the lines are funny ever. Um, And so they asked me to prepare a comedic monologue and I was like, can I just do stand up? And they were like, yeah, if you do stand up. And I was like, sure, I do. <laughs> and so I basically used this audition as uh, an open mic. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that was my first time doing stand up ever. All right. There's applause going around in the background. You got question number one right. All right. <laughs> first place you performed a sold out crowd to. Fuck. Probably some bringer show at the comedy store. M- more than likely. I did I got caught really caught up in the bringer scene when I first started, which uh was trash. And there is still one show producer who um I will hold a lifelong grudge against. And um I think I would like somebody to mention in my eulogy one day that he can <laughs> fuck himself. Um, but I don't totally resent the bringer experience because now I'm like, it, it's so ingrained in me that now I really promote the fuck out of things. I mean, even the shows with Jim, I certainly don't need to because we're all getting paid the same regardless, but I have sold a lot of tickets to the shows where I'm opening for Jim. I probably sold like 50 tickets in seven shows which um for people paying 60 dollars to see me do 15 minutes um feels like a lot of tickets (laughs) for those that don't know what a bringer show is uh a brief explanation for those not accustomed to that terminology 
Um, a bringer show is where you agree to do a show that's also a portal to hell. Um, <laughs> that is, that is <laughs> accurate. Pretty accurate? Yes. So bringer show is uh, where you're a new comic, and so you're not a draw, and a booker takes advantage of you, and they tell you, okay, well, we're going to give you five minutes on this show, and sometimes they'll do it on a sliding scale, like five to ten minutes, depending on how many people show up, and... So you gather all of your friends and family to come see you do some of the worst comedy uh, you'll ever do in your life. Um, and each of them pays about $15 for a ticket, none of which you see, by the way. So you could bring 10 people um, that each pay 15 maybe even $20 to see you eat shit for seven minutes. And uh, if you don't bring people, you don't get to do a spot. Now, the booker that I uh, will always hold the grudge for um, I was on this bringer show in the original room at the comedy store. And I think I had five or six friends show up. And uh, so I met the requirement. I had people show up. People drove in from across town, whatever, paid for parking, ordered their drinks, all the whole shit. And then uh, he did not allow me to go up because he said I did not bring enough people. Meanwhile, he collected, you know, $20 a head from my five friends or whatever it was. So he made at least $100 off of me and then did not let me do my goddamn seven minutes. And um, I mean, so far, I'm much more successful than him. So that's my little <laughs> bit of revenge now. Um, but it, it, uh, it won't be enough for me until my success is such that it destroys him emotionally. Have you, have you gone back? to uh, the comedy store since and given a big uh, F you to him on stage? <laughs> uh, I haven't seen him in a very long time. Uh, I've been to the comedy store since and have, have had a lot of gigs since then, um, but I, I have not seen this particular booker. Okay. Travis, I know it's been a minute. Was that, was that correct for question two? Yes, it was. Okay, so we're two for two. This is why my podcast is called Long Story Long, because I... <laughs> I cannot answer anything succinctly. It's going to be a 10 minute explanation for everything. Right. <laughs> Mostly because I have to get out all my pettiness and all my disputes <laughs> in every answer. Question number three, which is fine because you still get the question out rapid fire. It's the, the tangent after. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Question number three, besides Jim Jeffries and Nikki Glaser, who it has been your favorite comedian to share the stage with? Huh. Who have I shared the stage with? <laughs> I mean, I've only been on like a couple like like comedy juice shows with Nikki. Chipman, I don't know. Wait, who's <laughs> now all of a sudden I can't remember any comics. Um, this is ridiculous. You know who's very funny? My friend Allison Libby in uh, New York. You know what? Here's a couple of my favorites. Well, Brandy Posey is a good friend of mine and also very funny. Um, Allison Leiby is a killer joke writer. Um, and so is my friend Mike Drucker. I, I love the three of them dearly. Um, and I would murder for them. And also they're they're excellent. So there you go. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be counting that. Fact checkers are checking. All right, they gave it to you. They're giving you the, that third one. Okay. Uh, question four. Mm -hmm. In terms of writing, so not delivery, in terms of writing, what is the best sitcom of all time? Um, absolutely no contest. The best sitcom writing in history is The Golden Girls. There, is, oh. there are... A thousand jokes per episode. There is not there is not a higher joke ratio anywhere than Golden Girls. And I, I think for me, per, what I love personally, I think Veep is also like, I think, you know what? I think Veep is a contender. Um, but I think also a lot of the humor of Veep, the writing is, first of all, the writing is flawless. I'm obsessed with Armando Iannucci. I, I would uh, cut my own finger off to work with him. Um, although I don't, I can't imagine that would be required, uh, but so much of what is good about Veep is the cast and mm -hmm. there, and I don't think people realize this. I know this cause I went to second city for so long, but when you, it's an ensemble cast. Also, all of the guest appearances are 
these are all second city people who've known each other and worked with each other. Most of them, overwhelmingly, most of them have known each other in some capacity and have worked together or have rehearsed together or been on an improv team together um, at some point, you know, for some of them for as long as like 20 years. And that is magic. You cannot write Uh, that is that's why they play so well together is because they've worked together for so long and known each other for so long. Is that the correct answer? All right. That's four for four. <laughs> I, don't I like think these we, quizzes. I don't think we've ever got golden girls though before. That's the first. Because you've never had anyone answer that one correctly. I mean, somebody did say curb your enthusiasm. Like, you know, that's mostly improv. It's all improv. <laughs> It's funny, but it's not, uh, nobody wrote that. Yeah, it's the James Patterson of sitcoms. Sure. That was a that was an English joke that went over everybody's head. James Patterson <laughs> doesn't write most of his novels. He'll, he'll do an album. Yeah, I was like, okay. Yeah, he'll you do can an- tell I did not get that at all. <laughs> I'm going to explain a joke, which is the word that tells you I'm so, I'm so great in comedy. James Patterson <laughs> writes an outline and he has another writer. He always has a co-writer that actually fleshes out the novel. Mm-hmm. So he's the it's the the Jane Patterson method. That joke failed. We can edit this out. We can edit that part out. <laughs> Final question. We're four for four so far, so the mm-hmm. pressure's on. Okay. What is the best advice you've ever been given from another comedian? From another comedian. Correct. Fuck, dude. I've gotten a lot of good advice. I've been very lucky that a lot of people um, have been great. One piece of advice, do you know, uh, I will I will rank this as the best because it came from the worst person I worked, I've <laughs> ever worked with. Um, and so it's surprising that it, I think the juxtaposition of them giving me a piece of advice that I still use makes that the best because they're trash. Um when I first, first started, I opened for this comic um, who sucks. I just want to make sure we're all clear he sucks. Um, uh, I opened for this comic and I was kind of tentative with the, I like went out and I, you know, I grabbed the mic and I was like way back on the stage. We, I, we were on this huge, we were at the improv in Schaumburg, Illinois, which the stage is like 50 feet deep. It's huge uh, for some reason. And I came back into the green room and he's like, hey, when you go out on that stage, be aggressive. He's like, grab the mic, go to the end of the stage. And like, he's like, you have to alpha the crowd. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, And that never, my place in space on the stage had never, it was never something that I thought of consciously until then. Um, And now I do that and it feels really powerful. And I think it helps me get a hold of the crowd. And, um, I think it's the best way for me to perform. Um, and you know, that one adjustment early, early on in my career, I think really helped. Um, everything else he said to me was bizarro world. Um, (laughs) but that really was good. (laughs) And did I say he's trash? You did. did You did. (laughs) And you got that right. Can you give any analogies? Is it, is it, is it somebody really well known? It's not somebody really well known, but it's somebody who thinks very highly of themselves. And uh, they had said to me at the time that they believed themselves to be the greatest working comedian in the country. Now, this is at a time when uh, Dave Chappelle was working quite a bit. Chris Rock was working quite a bit. Dave Attell is on the scene, not to just name guys. But I was like, for this turd to think he's the best when half of his set is talking shit about his gorgeous wife, by the way, who is way out of his league um, and talking about what a piece of shit she is. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't even remember where I was going with this. He, he sucks shit. <laughs> I really wish this podcast was called D- dish the dirt. Cause now I'm- I wish I was talking through a voice changer. Cause then I would tell you who it is. <laughs> That's, I'm just going to be sleeping on this all night. Uh, you got five for five. Unfortunately, I will not be opening for Jim Jeffries, but if he's, <laughs> if, if he's listening, I would love to. Um, 
I don't think we've had any, we haven't had anybody so far. So I thought I had you there in the last one. <laughs> I thought you had me. And then I was like, you know, there is this piece of advice that I still use. And our crack team of fact checkers are like, yep, that's it. Mm-hmm. So they got it. Um, I always turn the, the show over to the guest to ask me a couple of questions. Um, and then we'll hmm. just the plug. What would in. you like to be asked? Well, I told you I'm what no, I know. <laughs> I, I, I gave you the few not to ask just because it's been asked a hundred times. What is your, if, if you could make a wish and get something, if it wasn't, it, it, not, not something that's necessarily in your path at the moment, but what would be your absolute dream gig in comedy? In comedy? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. You know, it wouldn't even probably be, like, opening for any of them, but maybe just sitting in a round table with, like, Carlin and Pryor and, you know, mm-hmm. some of those those legends that are... They are dead now, so I don't know how much they would have to say. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a wish, I can, I, can, I can bring them back from the dead or I could die for an hour, right? Isn't, isn't that how wishes are... To- I mean, maybe you could have a seance that, and that's something that's within reach. Okay. There's a lot of witches in Los Angeles, so somebody can hook you up with a seance. I mean, even if not, I, I, I will say politically him and I have nothing, nothing in common, but I learned so much from performing, uh, from Tim Allen. I sat four rows back from Tim Allen back in 2011 or 12. Oh, wow. It was, it was an amazing experience. I think similar to probably the advice you got, um, you know, I always feel like I use a microphone and, and sometimes pacing as kind of a crutch to, to mm-hmm. build the audience. Tim Allen stood behind the microphone and did not touch it and had his arms crossed and commanded that stage for 65 minutes. Oh, wow. And did not move a muscle. Oh, wow. And just commanded the stage. So the way like he held himself and some of that stage presence, I learned so much from him. So maybe even talking to some comedians like that for a couple hours people that I, I don't see eye to eye with on things, but see mm-hmm. kind of their, their, uh, their, their process. That's cool. Um, here's an, what's another question. What, um, if you could perform anywhere in the world, where would you want to perform? Uh, probably South Korea. So I'm adopted. I've talked about this before oh. on on stage and on the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm 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 whiter than white. Like I listen to country music white. Like that's oh. yeah yeah. Uh, so probably probably South Korea just for the the fact that they probably think I'm gonna start talking in Korean. <laughs> like uh, and you're like surprise, bitch. Kind of like uh <laughs> what Henry Cho, Henry Cho the the Texan Korean comedian. Oh, I know him. He had a Comedy Central special years ago and he walks out and he just has like the biggest Southern drawl and he's like, how are y'all mm-hmm. doing? And like the theater erupts. He's like, I bet you didn't expect that coming from my mouth. So probably the same juxtaposition like that. Just just mm-hmm. a white bread Korean in Korea. All right. But I haven't traveled. I haven't traveled much. I'm, I've pretty much stayed in the continental United States. So mm. any any place that'll have me. Final question for you. What's your all-time favorite comedy special? Oh. Man, I'm going to get judged for this one. Uh-oh. It's probably You Can't Fix Stupid by Ron White. That's perfectly fine. Ron I'm, White's very funny. I'm a sucker for, for Ron White, like, pre-2012. All right. That's like, fair. I, I don't know about something about Ron White. Ron White is, I've, I've said this before, like, one of the two comedians that got me into comedy. Really? Wait, who's the other one? Um, probably Steve Byrne. I don't know if you. Oh, yeah, I know Steve Byrne. I mean, not personally, but right. Yeah, those two. It's it's a and weird I, combo. I do have a fourth question now because you seem to really revere male comics. Who's your favorite female comic besides me? I mean, that's right. an obvious yeah. one. Uh, probably, probably Kristen Key. Oh, I don't know her. Oh, she was on. Uh, she was on Last Comic Standing, and then she did NBC's Bring the Funny a couple years ago. That's awesome. Um, Kristen Key, I'll yep, look her up. K R I S T I N. She has a huge podcast. You guys have a, like a, you two have a ton of mutual friends. It's gonna be really crazy when you see her because 
Like you have a ton of mutual mm-hmm. friends. I know that already. Is she a bitch though? No, she's one of I'm the kidding. nicest. <laughs> <laughs> Travis, wouldn't you say she's one of the the nicest people we probably had on? Oh, she was very nice. Um, nice, awesome. No, I love her. Like I said, I I loved b- bringing you to Spokane as well. Bless you, bless you. Thank you. Sorry, I was trying not to sneeze into the. <laughs> I have that effect on people. It's okay. Microphone. <laughs> um, Kristen Key, and again, nothing against. I don't know. Now, now you're probably going to hate me like you hated your dad talking about that. She's a very clean comic. That's totally fine. I think I just hated it because my dad was always like swearing. Right. And he was such a maniac. And he's like, I love this guy who's clean. And I'm like, why don't you clean the fuck up then, old man? <laughs> and she's a she's a musical comedian. And I just I, I have a soft spot because it's to me almost. I don't know. The fact that her brain can work both ways and do musical comedy, mm-hmm. stand up comedy. And I saw her once, and we talked about this, that she can do the same joke with her guitar and do it this do it the same without her guitar, same rhythm, and it still kills both both I ways. I love that. That's I mean, you got to respect it. I've seen some musical medians that can't do it without without their without their instrument. I don't. I know it's like I I feel like I'm supposed to hate musical comedy. I don't. I really enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun. It's not. Um, I don't know necessarily that I would go see a musical comedy hour. I think that might be a little too much for me. Um, although I've seen Tenacious D, that's very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that's very funny, but then like I think they won Best Metal Album one year. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know what fucking category that is. Yeah. Then maybe it's not supposed to be comedy and I'm wrong. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then the the last two that are up and comers actually one is she went from up and comer to superstar in like a week. Kelsey Cook, she's also from my neck of the oh, woods. Oh, I really like Kelsey. Um, Kelsey's amazing. And then Monica Nevy, who I know you know. Yeah, uh, I love Monica. Monica, you know, Monica and I met when she sublet my apartment when I was out of town. No, that's that's amazing. I, that's how I met Allison Leiby too. Um, I've met a lot of comics from them being in LA and subletting my apartment. That's a small world. Yeah. Yeah, I'm telling you because I'm I'm pretty sure Monica knows Kristen too. It's it's a sm- it's one of those big small communities, and mm-hmm. then you'll probably be best friends now. <laughs> yeah, well there we go. Um, I th- want to thank you for coming on this hour uh, once again. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Uh, let everybody know a the name of your album, where to find you on social media, uh, and anything upcoming in the next couple months that they should be looking out for. Um, well, my album. It's called Alive for a While. Um, Again, self-produced. I'm really proud of it. It's up for, it's, you can help me get nominated for a Grammy if you were in the Recording Academy. So look out for that because you get to pick three categories that you want to vote in. Um, So pick comedy and pick my album. Um, Please, (laughs) voting opens October 22nd for anybody in the Academy. Um, social media, I would love for more people to follow me on Instagram because I'm told I need more Instagram followers to get an agent, um, which is a fun thing to hear. Um, (laughs) my Instagram is Olympian Lisa Curry because there's an Olympic gold medalist named Lisa Curry and she took our name. So I took Olympian. (laughs) Um, (laughs) how the fuck you can be an Olympic gold medalist and not take Olympian for your socials is crazy to me um and then coming up october 22nd and 23rd i am headlining denver comedy underground i'm very excited for that and november 7th i'm opening for jim jeffries at the theater at the ace hotel downtown los angeles and that is getting close to sold out so get a ticket right now that is also my birthday weekend so it's gonna be a blast and maybe barack obama will show up he's on my guest list so yeah (laughs) Lisa, thank you again for coming on. Uh, come to Boise sometime. I'm, I know we'd love to have you out here. No, in Boise. I love Boise. I um I would really love to come back out and headline in Boise. I I am so charmed by that city. We'll be in touch about that then. Um, this has been another episode of Hey, What's Up the podcast. Uh, play us out, Travis. We'll see you next time. Bye.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Hey What's Up podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, give a five-star review. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jared Munson. Also, don't forget to follow Speak Boise as well. Thanks, you guys. We will see you again next week.